Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the Football Scoop podcast is back. It's a week six recap. College football did not disappoint. It never does. I'm your host, Scott Roussel. I'm joined by college football expert, Zach Barnett, the man who watches more college football than most of us. Okay, just more than most of us. And then stays up late and writes about it. God bless the man. Nuggets is the greatest thing on the internet every Sunday morning. Sometimes late Saturday, traditionally Sunday morning. Everybody needs to read their nuggets. Most coaches read it. That's how they know what actually happened in their own sport. God bless America. We will be joined by John Bryce later. Uh, his schedule, technical capabilities providing. We shall see. Zach, I feel as if talking about college football week six, a good place to start is 49 to zero. Let's let's do it. Let's, it, let's... it happened. Oklahoma might have tried to scrub the internet already. They cannot. I don't even know what to say. It was, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't pretty. Yeah. So the thing that jumped out to me is you go back to last year's game was, you know, red hot fire from the first snap to the last snap. Like one of the most hotly competitive games of the entire season. 2020 went four overtimes. 2018 was decided on a field goal with nine seconds left. You got to go back to 2013 the last time this game was decided by more than one score. So to watch the fourth, it's basically after three quarters, both teams were like, yeah, let's just get out of here. Like ABC had to like fill time because the game ended like 30 minutes early and it usually runs 30 minutes late. Like that's like Oklahoma just did not show up. And, you know, I saw a clip of Brent Venables, you know, doing his coach's show and, um, He's like, the Sooners are, you know, everybody's counting the Sooners out, but we're going to get back in the fight this week. And, of course, that's the type of thing you say. But then they did not back it up at all. Like, they just – it was it's the worst performance of an Oklahoma team ever. I, I feel confident saying that. And it's a, a lot of a lot of hard questions and not very good answers for, for the Oklahoma coaching staff. Like, what was that – obviously, you thought you had something with that Wildcat, but – is is Davis Bevel really your best quarterback? Like with with Dylan Gabriel out. Like, what am I thinking if I'm Nick Evers or General Booty? Like, why am I here? We're down 42 nothing. You guys would rather play a tight end at quarterback than me. Like, why am I here? So it, a hard week of, of questions for Oklahoma. No good answers. Like th- they were just beyond terrible. And then the, the other thing that peeves me a little bit is Dylan Gabriel is out there in warm-ups in uniform, throwing the ball, working up a sweat. And it's like, oh, yeah, uh, he's not playing, and we've known since midweek that he's not going to play. It's like, you guys can't let us know that so I can tamper down my expectations accordingly. So a, a really bad day for Oklahoma. Obviously a really good day for Texas. They, they're, they uh, in my mind, right there with, with Oklahoma State and TCU for the best team in the Big 12. I don't, I don't disagree. I don't disagree at all. So I apologize for joining you, gentlemen, a bit tardy. But um, somebody on this panel had uh, had Texas as uh, contending, if not winning, the Big 12 championship in its swan song season for, for the league or potential swan song season for the league. And so there you go. Um, I told you going in that I felt that um, Texas was going to win very strongly. Zach, you and I traded some text messages on Friday. Um, obviously, I missed the first couple of minutes of your breakdown, but it was it was thorough. I had a lot of people 
asking me, um, coaches, uh, other sports writers texting me, asking about uh, the the Red River beatdown and exactly what it was. And um, I think the, the Oklahoma roster is a lot worse than I thought after seeing that game yesterday. I mean, a lot worse than I thought. I knew it was bad defensively. Um, but that roster has now significant, significant holes. And I'm not even sure how much difference uh, an able-to-play Dylan Gabriel would have made, just to be honest with you. I, I think it would have been negligible. And they 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 look spent mentally. Like they look like they don't want to play anymore. And you've got half your season to go with some really really good teams ahead of you that will will embarrass you and make you look silly. You know, starting with the Kansas Jayhawks this Saturday. So uh, Texas, I, I really don't know. I mean, obviously the 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 most encouraging thing is that they played hard for all four quarters, which has not been a theme of the Steve Sarkeesian era. And then they're just a different team with Quinn Ewers at quarterback. Like as long as he plays. Their threat to beat anybody. All right, let's transition to a night game. Uh, Alabama hung on. Jimbo, ah, eh, eh. he fought, he fought, he fought. Final play call didn't love. That's life. Okay, so, let's talk through that final play call because I, I obviously you you can't defend even if it had been completed. It looked like he was going to be yard short. Absolutely. But I, having said that, I think most people that are are criticizing him aren't dealing with the reality that obviously you have to get this playoff and Alabama is coming at you hard every single snap. They, they could not – Will Anderson was not blocked at any point. Like, you've got to get the playoff. You're going to throw the ball to your best player in Evan Stewart. And obviously, you know, he was – they were bringing safety help from the inside. So I feel like it's either, you know, what they ran or a fade. But I, I, the execution was bad, but I, I it was it's a tough spot for Jimbo. I'll give him that. It's a tough spot given the realities of the situation at the time. Look, but you can't run that route short of the pylon. You just can't do it. And that's coaching. Um, That's coaching because you're coming out of a a dead ball situation with the penalty. You should be able to say, you should be able to communicate to your quarterback, to your skill players, whomever. This route has to cut into the end zone. This route has to be taking you into the end zone at the pylon, not – a half yard or a yard short, and you hope to be able to fight in to your great point, Zach, as the pressure and and the coverage has been so physical and intense over the course of the entire drive. I mean, the drive is only still alive at that point because of how aggressive Alabama had been playing on the snap before and got a penalty. You just can't and, – and I'm not isolating it to Texas A&M. I know how much of a coaching point it is for so many offensive coaches. You see these guys that know – it's six yards to the stick. I have to run this route six yards. And for whatever reason, they run it four and a half and cut it off and turn then. And I saw it in multiple other games yesterday, just not with a chance for a second consecutive monumental upset for a, uh, in this case, what is becoming a more and more besieged program. And the the thing that's the, the biggest play of that drive was just a, a jump ball in between two defenders that Evan Stewart just went up and grabbed like it was a that was rebound. Awesome. Yep. That was an incredible play by him. So you'd think, you know, if, if we got to take a 50-50 shot, my chances are going to be better if I just tell Haynes, grab that ball, put it in the air, throw it to the to, throw it to that back pylon and let Evan go get it. That's going to have that's going to have a better chance of success than than what they ran because that had zero chance of success. The ball you're referencing that absolutely like looked like looked like it was going to be a pick. It wasn't yep. a great catch. Then I really thought in real time I did not think Alabama 
interfered with that. Uh, the guy going down the middle that brought the penalty brought him way down close. Uh, I thought maybe it was a holding, maybe, maybe not. Um, I would have thought years ago, Nick Saban would have gone ballistic and attempted to sway the officials in some way. Nick didn't even, he couldn't have cared less. He was so locked in on, he's like, look, we got to stop him on the next play. Mm-hmm. He was all about defense in the next play, do this. He was co- giving his guys on field coaching right away. That was a nice move by Jimbo. I'm sorry, by Nick. And uh, and they got the dub. Yeah, I have them at number nine in my – I dropped them at number nine in my latest poll. And I see your face. I see y'all's faces. But hear me out. Look at this. They've played three real teams so far this season. Nearly lost to Texas on a day that they lost their quarterback mid-game. Probably should have lost the game. That was the consensus of that game. Arkansas is not good. And I know they lost Bryce Young mid-game. They ended up winning, but they 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 let a, an average Arkansas team back in the game. And then they didn't – four turnovers, two missed field goals, probably should have – very easily could have lost that game last night. That's three games against real teams, and they're lucky to win two of them. So, Without their quarterback. Uh, so what? 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 So what? what? So what? Oklahoma was terrible yesterday without their quarterback. It changes everything. Everything. Two of those games were not at home. Texas is obviously a hell of a tough place to play, especially with the momentum that they are continuing to build under Sarkeesian, the belief that I think is continuing to grow on a weekly basis. Arkansas especially is not an easy place to play. They were in complete command of that game when they lost Bryce Young. Allow the home team Razorbacks to get back in it and then nonetheless still deliver a knockout punch to win by three-plus touchdowns on the road against a team that should have beaten Texas A&M the week before that's done some good things. Um, I understand dropping the tide. I understand we absolutely all have to see more from them, um, depending on how many more times they have to go to Jalen Milrow as the, as the quarterback. Um, but, man, dropping to nine. They have common opponents with two common opponents with Mississippi State. And Mississippi State comes out ahead in both games, in my mind. Like, lose you, you lose your quarterback mid-game, I, I have some sympathy there. But at that point, Milleroy was the starter all week long. We knew he was going to play. And A&M, A&M played with their backup quarterback, too, and nearly won the game. So A&M's, A&M's backup quarterback has multiple career starts. How many – and then I would say to Mississippi State – how would they look without Will Rogers? I imagine it would be exponentially different. We don't know. That's the best, baby. That's football. Right. That's football. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have no sympathy to Alabama with a backup quarterback. No so Zach, Zach, you're saying the season ended, you'd have him out of the playoff? I mean, I have him at number nine right now. If Bryce Young comes back and plays, he might throw for 700 yards, and they'll beat, they might beat Tennessee, and then I have him back up. But right now, I have him at number nine. So if Bryce Young comes back this week, they beat the Vols on the road. Do you put them at like number one AAA? Like how does how does that work? I I try to be I try to be radical when warranted with my with my right. Okay, I thought you were going to go for rational, but you went radical. No. Yeah, I I try to not be afraid to to be radical and see that an Alabama team that's played three real games and has been impressive for three quarters of one of them. Moving right along. Uh, I'm not going to talk about some of the other great games of the day. I'd like to go to one that hurt. It hurt real bad. I'm hoping you guys know where I'm going. 
There were no touchdowns scored in this game. Nine to six. How can – I mean, I said this after week one. How can you stand before your team and tell them you're giving them the best chance to win the game? Like, the defensive players at Iowa have to be furious. Like, they're putting out championship football week after week. And I obviously, they're, Illinois is not a great – but this – it's – it's unacceptable. It really is. It's pathetic. Yeah. And no, there doesn't seem to be any sense of urgency to, to fix it. It's like, it just seems like an aw shucks thing. Like, yeah, you win some, you lose some. And it's just week after week. They are the worst offense in college football. And it's not close. It's just completely not close. Um, you look at, the, the way the two teams responded this week in the Big Ten that had uh, considerable uh, heat a, a week ago, albeit very, very differently. But look at what Wisconsin went out and did offensively after shaking things up at the top and against a, a fellow uh, Big Ten opponent. And then look what Iowa continued to slog out there. I don't um, – you know, we don't need any more public statements of support for, from anybody in the – Iowa system, we need to see some actual freaking results. And then also to that end, I would say how um, how great does Brett Bielema feel on the one hand? They're sitting here five and one. They they have to be the most surprising five and one team in the country. They should be the absolutely most surprising, stunning six and oh team in the country. They never, ever should have lost to what is an increasingly, incredibly putrid Indiana team. Mm-hmm. That's going to go down as one of the five – WTF outcomes of the season. It was early. Yeah. No, there there have been injuries in Indiana since then. No, no. It no. was Illinois had complete control of that game almost throughout, and and Indiana scored a miraculous touchdown late on a Friday night game. Indiana's a bad football team right now. I'm trying to remember. I think didn't Illinois was going in for another touchdown. And I think Illinois threw a pick in the end zone, maybe. Illinois threw a pick somewhere. And I'm looking it up right now. It changed. Yeah, I can't remember. Anyway. Uh, no, nah, that wasn't. Nah. Anyway, I'm going to move us right along. Michigan obviously took care of Indiana, Ohio State, uh, Michigan State. Anything of note there from you guys? Uh, the, the funny thing about this, and I don't know if it's funny if you're a Michigan State fan, is uh, the Big Ten put out a clip of that they obviously filmed at Media Days asking all 14 coaches, what's the most overrated stat? And Mel Tucker said, uh, passing yards allowed. And boy, does he live by that. Uh, C.J. Stroud the last has thrown 12 touchdowns against Michigan State the last two games, 69 passes for like 800, 750 yards. Like he has just absolutely torched them two years in a row. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think Indiana had a, a receiver out and a cornerback out in this game. I don't think they've – they've not been hit by injuries the way they were a year ago. It's not remotely the same in my opinion. I did not have a fighting about the Indiana-Illinois game on my uh, preseason games, <laughs> but I love that we're in a fight about this. No, I just said that, like, that's one of those losses. I'm giving praise to Illinois for being yeah. this remarkably surprising – Five and one team, it's absolutely mind-boggling 
given the, their body of work since then, that they're not a six and O team because that was those two teams continue to go in opposite directions. That's the best way I can say it. Since that Indiana Illinois game, which could have been a galvanizing moment for Indiana, instead has become a galvanizing, fortifying moment for Brett Bielema and Illinois. We all probably we all saw Rutgers made a change at offensive coordinator. If you quickly took a look at how bad Rutgers stats are in offense. A lot better than I was. <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't always think – actually, I don't frequently think firing the offense coordinator is the right idea. I think you can just reassign. You know, somebody else step up and call things. You can just tell him, you got to call a different game. These guys are really smart. They can adapt. You can make changes there because you generally don't have a bad person or a, a non-smart coach something's not clicking and maybe you just, as the head coach, you shift some things around. I don't think you got to fire guys, to be honest. Sean Gleason shouldn't have been fired, but they just need to do something a little different. I'm not saying Brian needs to be let go, but try something different. Whew, buddy. Clemson took care of BC. Uh, USC is undefeated. 6-0, took care of a decent Washington State team. Uh, I didn't get to see any of that one. Any thoughts on USC, Washington State? Yeah, I mean, um, I think that that's one of USC's more impressive wins this season. Um, I like this Washington State team. I think it's uh, sneaky good. Certainly, I was not a believer until uh, they went in and and won an ugly game at Wisconsin very early in the year, obviously, before things had changed so dramatically for the Badgers. Um, But this was a game, to me, that that showed more in-season program growth for the Trojans because – um, Wazoo mounted a little bit of a comeback and, and narrowed the gap a little bit, and then USC delivered the knockout punch. That, that's what stood out to me, was that USC very much closed out the game. Zach, talk me through Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. Uh, this was a – I mean, this was as competitive as you'd think a, a Texas-Oklahoma game would be. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean – Texas Tech, you you know they're going to come to fight, and uh, they're not as good as they're probably going to be two, three years from now. But uh, Baron Morton, redshirt freshman quarterback, probably the, the you know the quote savior of the program, the future of the program, got his first start, played really well for the most part, uh, threw for three hundred seventy nine yards. Um, the the Tech defense, you know, really limited Oklahoma State for the most part. Spencer Sanders, you know, threw for two hundred ninety seven yards, but was less than fifty percent passing. Um, it was it was a hard hitting game, um, and you know arguably the, the key play of the game was what we wrote about on the site was uh, Tech took a seven nothing lead to open the game and then recovered an onside kick like executed perfectly, uh, but but Oklahoma State smartly called for an onside kick. So not only did that nullify Tech's recovery, it attached a fifteen yard penalty onto it. So Oklahoma State started their first drive at the Tech thirty four. They go down and score, uh, and you know takes for maybe a 14 nothing tech lead to a 7-7 game. Uh, the, the Oklahoma State defense really, uh, they limited Tech to seven in the second half. They really uh, started, you know, tightening those passing windows for Morton. Um, but I, I, it's a game where you come away, if you're both sides, feeling good about your performance, which is what you couldn't say if you were in Dallas. I'm with you. All right, I'm going to talk Tennessee LSU for a second. Tennessee's offense is fun. It just is. Uh, they're going to put up points. They're going to put up points in Alabama. Uh, 
LSU is still trying to find its offense. And the offensive line doesn't look very good. Uh, LSU's defense is not bad. Tennessee just did that to them, which is a huge statement for Josh Heupel's program. Uh, LSU, I'm sorry, Tennessee's defense? Better? Had to, had to have felt good, I guess. I thought the uh, improvement from in Tennessee's secondary – uh, and Jaden Daniels didn't have the day that Anthony Richardson had. But I thought the improvement in Tennessee's secondary from what we saw in that Tennessee-Florida game a couple of weeks ago to yesterday uh, was incredible. Um, and, and you guys know, I, I've said on this program, I have a great deal of respect for Willie Martinez as a secondary coach. It looked to me like, uh, and it's just the one-game sample size, so I cautioned a little bit, it looked to me like they made really impressive adjustments and tightened some things up over the past two weeks with that open date that they had between Florida and between LSU. And remember, they lost Warren Burrell earlier in the week, who's been a multi-year starter for them uh, in the defensive backfield and and still performed that way against LSU. And then uh, to your point about LSU, the, the Tigers special teams gave them absolutely no, no chance oh. in that game. Um, I like uh, BK. BK often elects to receive first half kicks, um, especially in a game like that. He believes it's a chance to send a statement. Um, he did it a couple of years ago, I believe, in the in the dramatic win that they had against then number one Clemson here in South Bend. Um, so that's something that he likes to do. I'm a big believer in that because I think you have a chance to, to send a message to your team of belief, not only to the opposition of belief, but, boy, Brian Polian's units were just absolutely abysmal yesterday. They cost them the game against Florida State to begin the season. Just, just a really dismal day. And with as well as Tennessee's offense is clicking, despite not having Cedric Tillman, you absolutely cannot spot them the points that LSU special teams did. LSU special teams has been a story of the season. It's it's not, yeah, it's not good at all. Oh, buddy, uh, I'll tell you, I thought at the end, I don't know if y'all saw it. I think it was maybe the final play, the final play anybody really watched. LSU throws it into the corner for a touchdown. And Tennessee guy makes just a sweet interception. I thought it was gonna be a great touchdown. And I was like, that that's a that's a that's the type of play Tennessee's defensive backs can build upon. Yeah. And, uh, it was a strong move. All right. Uh Ole Miss Vanderbilt. I'm gonna run through this one quickly. That's a, that's the difference in where Lane has this team than where this team was a few seasons ago. A few seasons ago. Vanderbilt hangs in there, and that one gets tricky, and maybe Ole Miss wins. This one, Vanderbilt's hanging in there, and then Lane said, come on, kids, let's go. And uh, and they won by, what, 24 points. Yeah, I didn't see a snap of that game. The only awareness I had was it was 2017 at halftime, and I was like, oh. And the next time I saw the score, was like 38-20 or something like that. Yeah, and they rolled. All right, really good football game, UCLA-Utah. UCLA, guys. Telling you, you can't call, you can't fight out, you can't call out, you can't count them out. Chip Kelly's, they're they're putting it together. He's having one of those seasons so far. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, going into that game, I think they they the over the last two seasons, the two best, three best teams in the conference have been Oregon, uh, Utah, and UCLA, and they went out and beat you know the the defending conference champs. DTR had a great game. Zach Charbonnet is one of the best running backs in the Pac-12, so they get an off week, and then they go to Oregon next, which will have a lot of eyeballs, a lot of attention. So, uh, I mean, it seems like everybody was really trying to write Chip off to start for 
I mean, they went three nine. It seemed like his first two years or whatever it was, and he's he's got it together. Seemed like there was a Pac-12 network joke to be made there, but we'll let that slide. <laughs> yeah, right. just real quickly on, on DTR, 18 for 23 with four tutties. And when he plays like that and Charbonnet is running the ball that well, and then the defense um, obviously gave up some points and some yardage to Utah, but had some unbelievably key stops and forced uh, takeaways. I thought that um, it was one – it was, to me – as I watched it and as I watched them put the game away, I thought it was the most complete performance I've seen from UCLA under Chip Kelly. So yeah, when, I, oh. when you get a guy that Chip Kelly drafted, he drafted DTR in like 2015, right? So this is like year seven in, in his system. I'm kidding, but not really. It seems like the guy's been there forever. But when a guy who's cerebral understands Chip's offense, who's athletic, when he really gets Chip's offense, boy, he can execute. And he's done a great job this year. Yeah, I saw uh, Don Pelham speak at an AFCA uh, recruiting panel. You know, this would have been 2019 or so, uh, maybe 2020. That that and at that time, UCLA was off to a very slow start, and they were offering like 45 kids a class. Like everyone else was offering like 200. And the conversation around the program was like, "Are these guys even trying to be good at UCLA?" And I mean, Don Palm's like, we've got a plan and it, it's going to come together. And it's, so looking back on that now, it seems like there's probably a lot of satisfied nods among those guys in the in the staff room. So we talked about on the on the on the preview pod a few days ago. Is this a chance for Arizona to really say we're back? Eh, Oregon said, nope, sorry, guys. No, or, Oregon just handled them. Yeah, I mean Arizona is it. It looks like they're they're definitely improved from where they are a year ago, but they're not they're not Kansas improved. They're not going to go one eleven to eleven and one like the Jayhawks are going to go. <laughs> I'll I'll say this: um, we learn a lot lot more about Oregon every week, especially with the way they've responded to that opening loss against Georgia. And I know one of you guys made a joke uh, about arguing about a game five weeks ago, but especially especially for a program under a first-time head coach to have responded the way that Oregon has. Um, and so I think that Oregon, USC, and UCLA are probably a whole lot more than what we thought in, in the pack right now, whereas Utah isn't quite what we thought the Utes were going to be right now. Yeah, agreed. South Carolina got a big win on the road, big second half for those guys. Um, I didn't get to see much of this one. Zach, any insight? Uh, my insight is I love uh, that Shane Beamer, his post-game speech was fantastic and definitely planned probably since SEC media days. So it's good for him to, to be able to pull it off with a win. I, I didn't get to see that, but I knew uh, I talked to people in Columbia and Lexington all week. I had some people early week in Lexington tell me, JB, this has all the feelings of a trap game. Uh, I talked to somebody in Columbia Friday afternoon, and I said, "Hey, man, what are what are your thoughts? What are you thinking?" He goes, "They meet and should win this weekend. We'll see if they actually do." And I said, "Wait, wait, who's they? South Carolina or Kentucky?" He goes, "No, if they play the way they're able to, South Carolina is the they. They should win. Um, this could be a um, season bending into the forward curve for South Carolina. It's certainly um, some much earlier than anticipated adversity for Kentucky." with the uh, tough loss and the way it ended last week at Ole Miss and then the way this game 
Um, if you look online, you'll see some some video clips uh, of Big Blue absolutely pouring out of that stadium uh, with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Um, and certainly still a reachable game for the Wildcats at that point. And there are, there are the clips out there. There are the, there are the videos out there that show you fans were uh, not impressed and were well on their way um, to get out of there. Wow. Surprised me. I didn't see that. Goodness. Okay. So uh, Florida State had a real shot to beat NC State. And we've talked about this. This type of game that NC State against Clemson, they find they, they, they can't get this win. They get this win against other teams. Uh, it was really, I don't know if y'all got seen in the post game. Dave Doran on field, his interview was kind of a little weird, but his reaction with the players on the field afterwards was just pure joy, emotions. That was pretty cool. Uh, just a rough, a rough end to that one for for Florida State. They they were driving and just threw a bad pass. Yeah, my my heart is in my in my throat every time I watch Florida State because it seems like they're in such a fragile state right now where you can see them making progress, but you can see how that progress could be wiped away with night nights like last night plays like the the end of that up seventeen three and then the the punt where the punter's rolling out for the rugby punt, crosses the line of scrimmage, punts the ball anyway. I mean, that's, that's one of those – who else does this happen to but Florida State type plays? And now they got Clemson next. Yeah, you wonder um, – I give Florida State, especially the coaching staff, tremendous credit for having the team so prepared and in a position to win a huge game like that yesterday. Coming off the disappointment of last week's game against Wake, where so much had been invested into that contest, where so much was made of that as a contest to prove that Florida State is back. Now, to me, my worry is because there is obvious progress in that program. There's impressive progress in that program. My worry, though, is where is that program? How does it pivot ahead today? Does yesterday break them? Did yesterday start to crack them and Clemson breaks them? you know, it's it's a coach's cliche that the first time you you hear it, you maybe laugh. They can't lose to NC State for the next five weeks, and mm. that's that's what I think will tell you the true trajectory of this program. But Florida State has been incredibly impressive and improved to me this year. Agreed. Yeah, I think we're all on the same page. But yeah, it's tough to come back, get back up off the mat. Yeah. All right, John, tell us. I'm going to move past Wake and Army. Wake handled Army. Uh, no problems. Tell me about Notre Dame's game. You know, uh, Notre Dame, clearly the, the better team, uh, outgained BYU by almost 200 full yards, I think, uh, right around 500 yards of offense for Notre Dame, 300 yards of offense for BYU. Notre Dame seems to have complete control. The Irish take a 25-6 lead early in the third quarter. Uh, and then a secondary bust, and suddenly it's 25-13. And then a short possession where um, BYU just loaded up to stop the run, and that was probably the one series all day where the Cougars were super effective stopping the run. Boom, Notre Dame has to punt it away. BYU mounts its most sustained and, and lasting drive of the day in a lot of ways. All of a sudden it's 25-20. But Notre Dame showed its growth, in my opinion, um, and truly dominated the fourth quarter and almost every facet got 11 minutes time of possession in the fourth quarter as part of their 41 minutes of possession in that game. 41 minutes of possession in that game. Um, they had two different ball carriers 
uh, rushed for more than 90, 90 or more yards. Michael Mayer set the single game record with 11 receptions. If, if Notre Dame was five and one right now or four and one or whatever, um, Michael Mayer would at least be in the conversation as a fringe Heisman person. Um, I was just having this debate with the media guy driving in from the airport. He's a top 10 player in the country. He's one of the, I, I covered Jason Witten. There's no question to me that Michael Mayer is probably the best college tight end I've seen since Jason Witten. He's a singular performer. This is a Notre Dame team growing in belief week after week. It was a game um, that, that featured a little bit of everything for them. They got control. Then they had to find a way to win. They weren't at home. Yeah, they had a good crowd. Um, and there were more Irish fans. The BYU fans were louder. So an impressive win that propels them to potentially be on a five or six game winning streak when the number four Clemson Tigers come here to South Bend on November 5th. So I, I just um, just like we talked about with Florida State, this was a trajectory, trajectory win for the Notre Dame program for the rest of the season. So you think Michael Mayer is better than Brock Bowers? Would you take Mayer over Bowers? I would. Okay. I, I would. Yeah, I absolutely would. Um a lot because Bowers is a stud. Bowers, yeah. Bowers is a stud. I would um, – and I'm sure somebody's – done a clip or, or just the highlights of mayor in yesterday's game, Zach, but uh, I appreciate the way that you study the intricacies of the game. Watch mayor's footwork, watch the way he runs routes. Um, and just then also watch his compete factor and his will on every single play. He's not the same athlete as Brock Bowers, but I would take Michael Mayer as the more complete of those two tight ends. Um, and they're both, they're both great tight ends, but I think Michael Mayer will be a starter in the NFL next season for sure. John, what, what happened that, that got, that allowed Notre Dame's offense to find its footing? Cause they had no footing early on. Man, that's a great question, Scott. And um, I think it's just the fact that Drew Pine takes Tommy Reese's really hard coaching and by the way there were shirts on the Vegas strip uh, that Zach would appreciate because they were green and gold that said do your effing job there we and go. then on the back it said Reese 22 so um, <laughs> I thought those were some pretty dope shirts and uh, but it's it's simply that I and I asked Marcus Freeman this uh, after the game last night in the post game press conference as a defensive guy when you have seen Tommy Reese start to get into that rhythm like what you've seen the last two weeks against North Carolina and now uh, BYU, both of those games away from South Bend, North Carolina ranked, by the way, five and one, looking better and better every week after that road win at Miami. What is that like as a defensive guy? Can you sense when an offensive coordinator is getting in a groove? And he said yes, but then he was really interesting to me in his response because he talked about what that comes down to is being self-critical. And he said, our guys don't sugarcoat it with ourselves. And so our offense is performing like it is right now because our coaching staff has been so self-critical. I thought that was some, some pretty insightful comment right there. Um, but from North Carolina to this game, I would contend it's the best two-game stretch of Tommy Reese's career. It's been elite, elite play calling. Drew Pine in that time, I believe, is 46 of 64 passing with six touchdowns. 587 yards and one turnover. Hmm. Very good. All right, moving forward, TCU Kansas. There was there were some folks. We were split on on this game. 
I thought Kansas was going to find a way to, to win it at the end. You guys were pretty confident. TCU had just too much firepower. Um, there was conversation of boat race potential. Uh, there was no question TCU is a loaded team. I just felt Kansas could find a way in, and then they were in it. They were in it. They had a shot. It was it was a compelling ball game. Yeah, compelling is the right word. It, it's it, you hate to see Jalen Daniels, the, the Kansas quarterback, leave the game first half with a shoulder injury. But uh, you know, not to not to hurt any Alabama fans listening, but Kansas played well with its backup quarterback, the the North Texas quarterback Jason Bean came in, maybe one of the fastest. Uh, quarterbacks in all of FBS, a former track guy, I believe. So he he came in through four touchdown passes. Kansas was right there, but but TCU just had too much, too much firepower, too much Quentin Johnston. That guy might be the best. You talk about Michael Mayer as the best, um, you know, the best tight end. I take Quentin Johnston maybe over any wide receiver. Fourteen catches, two hundred and six yards, the game winner, uh, which they reviewed and ru- ruled the touchdown on. I'm not sure it was a touchdown, but either way, uh, great, great grab by him. Max Duggan is putting up uh, Baker Mayfield type numbers, which you love to see for him because he's a guy who's been there a long time. I think we could he, we can call him the embattled Max Duggan. Didn't win the job out of camp. I went to Chan- Chandler Morris. Chandler Morris got hurt, and since then, I think he's been a Heisman Trophy type guy. Like he's his efficiency. He he's making plays with his arm and his feet. And just operating that offense like fantastically, they've. It's it, Oklahoma State at TCU on on Saturday is going to be a fantastic football game. Potential, yeah, agreed. Yeah, huge, huge kudos to Sonny Dykes in his first year at TCU to have them all the way up to thirteenth, their highest ranking in a half dozen years or so. Um, just really impressive the way that 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 transition has been um, so seamless and seemingly has TCU very much on an accelerated and elevated path in a hurry. And um, I know, Scott, that you're the director of going to which games, but I was going to use Zach's wide receiver talk to please segue to the Oregon State-Stanford game. And please tell me I'm not the only one who saw that. Buddy. Holy. Stanford safety. I lost my mind. I'm like, what are you doing, bro? Oh my gosh, y'all! He plucked it off of his head. Plucked it off of his head. Turns around. The safety is dumbfounded, and then the other safety has the angle on him, but is coming from the opposite hash, and he can't catch him. We just talked about how much does that loss for Florida State linger beyond Stanford already struggling this season, scuffling quite a bit. Already lost Emmett Smith's son for the entire season. Now lost that game, and by the way, they come to South Bend next weekend. What is that? You know, where does Stanford go from here, especially on the heels of how disappointing last year was? They've lost ten straight Pac-12 games. Like they're as bad as they've ever been. So fun to watch. Oregon State is so fun to watch. Yeah, and they didn't even play their best game. I mean, they didn't play anywhere near their best game. They didn't play a great game, to be honest. But they, you know, fought through and got the dub at the very end. Uh, I'm worried about Stanford. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we got five more uh, games involving top 25. I'm going to run through them fast. I'm going to start with Farmageddon. It was not fast. Iowa State was one of the two teams playing. They didn't get a touchdown either. Whatever disease Iowa's offense has has moved across the state to Iowa State. Whew. Kansas State scored one touchdown, and they won by one point. Moving on, Arizona State got Washington. How do you like them apples? 
45-38. I got thoroughly, thoroughly controlled the game, and, and we're up, I think, 38-21. to 21, And then Washington engineered a pretty remarkable second-half rally to tie it at 38. Kudos to Arizona State in this state of tumult in the program for having the character and the guts and the fortitude to preserve that win and become victors in their new, um, I don't know. I'm lukewarm on their alternate jerseys that they wore yesterday. And I'm yeah, a, I feel the same way. way. But, yeah. but, hey, that was, a, that was a heck of a win for A-State. Uh, yeah, and maybe Washington is, is not as good as we thought. Yeah, Michigan State propped them up and they're bad. Right, exactly. Uh, all right, I think we all picked Mississippi State, or maybe, maybe not. Anyway, Mississippi State just handled Arkansas. Well, you know, Arkansas was playing with a backup quarterback. What happens when you play with a backup quarterback? Um, Especially against the veteran most quarterback in the SEC who's clicking at an exceptional level. Um, But, yeah, Arkansas right now is a beaten and banged up team. They're a completely different identity without K.J. Jefferson. And Mississippi State, um, you know, in my mind is is clearly – the number two team in the West. Um, but Zach might have them number two in the country. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I wrote on Friday for, uh, you know, evaluating the class of 2020, Sam Pittman, obviously, you know, received glowing remarks. But, uh, you know, I, I wrote that I wonder if Arkansas is going to be chasing the high of September 2021 for the entirety of Sam Pittman's tenure. And not that this is going to change the tenure, but uh, they're just, they, they get further away from that ever, with every game, it seems like. Eh, I don't know. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, they were on the verge of. Yeah, and now they're going to be lucky to be six and six. Lucky to be six and six. Let's uh, on 10 9 22. Okay, right now. That has forecast a lucky to be six and six. I haven't yeah. studied their schedule yeah. that yeah. closely. If they have to play with a backup quarterback all year, lucky to be six and six. It, seriously, I mean, it changes everything. Not your Alabama. Goodness gracious. All right. So uh, we talked about Jeff Scott's team needing to, to break through. They, they showed they, they were winning against Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Weren't able to close it out. Uh, impressive Luke, Luke Fickle's team, which isn't as loaded, isn't as a veteran of a team, fought their way and, and, and got a, a tough win. Yeah. yeah you can see uh, the immaturity of, of Luke Fickle's team. And that's not a knock um, because they lost so much off last year's team. But you see that Cincinnati team – that opened the year at Arkansas and fought and scrapped um, when it could have been blown out and ended up only losing by seven or so on, on the road. Then you see what Cincinnati did a couple of weeks ago when it really rose up to play Indiana and it bludgeoned the Hoosiers. And then it dipped back down, I think, a little bit to the level of its competition against USF, probably um, took that game a little bit for granted and you had a lot to prove and give uh, – Company credit for having those guys playing that hard um, as the losses mount in that program. All right, I'm going to go rapid fire. We're 43 minutes in. Let's go quick hits. Uh, Florida got a nice win over Missouri. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Purdue Purdue beats Maryland at Maryland. Purdue, Illinois, going to be the game of the – well, yeah, Purdue, Illinois, Minnesota, top three teams in in, uh, Big Ten West. I mean, hear what we just said. I mean, and you don't even know what you don't. You have no idea what you're going to get from any of those teams. That's There's right. Potential there, man. Yep. Eh, That's right. Eh. All right, Louisville got the dub they needed. They did not need to lose that game. No. Mm-hmm. I'm looking around. Georgia State. Told you, boys. 
Yeah. Told they, you. The, the, the Sean Elliott, they, they continue to fight. Um, kudos to them. I think we all were on Southern, or at least you and I were on Thursday. So props to State for getting that win. I think I Burn talked a lot State. Wisconsin. Oh, gosh, Northwestern. What happened? Well, that was a... We talked about these smart schools. What happened, man? Well, that was yeah. that was the Donkey Kong game for, for Wisconsin. Just get out all the frustration, throw all the barrels, and beat somebody over the head. And Graham Mertz, six yeah. touchdown passes. His best performance since his first ever performance two or three years ago when he seemingly stamped his arrival as the next great Big Ten quarterback. Go ahead, Zach. Sorry. Uh, you know, we talked about earlier about um... – you know, Scott doesn't advocate for, for firing people, you know, midseason. And, of course, no one would ever advocate for it. But all the interim head coaches won this weekend. And Boise State Boise yeah. State uh, has won two in a row since uh, changing offensive coordinators, run for 300 yards in both games. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to draw any trends from that. But, you know, something worth noting, I think. Yeah, not, not everybody has Dirk Cutter sitting on the bench, but yeah, I'm with yeah. you. Uh, Pitt, not their best game. Got a nice win in Virginia Tech. Tulane at home got a huge program win. Tulane, you know, lost the, the Southern Miss. Huh? Uh, but this stopped, not that there was any potential slide, so to speak, but also they're 5-1. and one. Greenway. I've seen them on, like, top 25 ballots, so good for them. I get I'm it. Not, if you I'm don't lose Southern Miss, you're undefeated. Yeah. yeah. How about Texas State and App? Yeah. Yeah. Holy smokes. Holy smokes. App was on such a high. You know, they gave so much. You just kind of, yeah. Great win for Jake Spavadol's program. And the great video of the the field storming that was the slowest field storming of all time after that win for Texas State. Well, that was because they were very safety conscious, Zach. (laughs) Not everything is about expediency. Um, (laughs) As we're winding down here, quick shout out James Madison, ranked in the top 25 in the program's first ever year as an FBS program, Signetti um, is the real deal. That program is replete with resources as we talk every single week, it seems like. Um, I'm curious to see where they go with this, but that that's big-time movement for James Madison. Toledo, I think, was up by like 30, near 40 points at some point over Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois has one win. I don't think it's an FBS win. Moving on, um, North Carolina, Miami. I referenced it earlier. The Tar Heels, mm-hmm. um, we were a little skeptical. They're finding some things. They're finding their footing on defense, uh, and I had some coaches tell me they've got players. Can they put it together? But they were adamant that there is some very quality personnel on the defensive side of the ball at Carolina, not just the offensive side of the ball. They, they're positioned to to potentially get on a, a, a nice little run here. And they might have the best quarterback in the conference. Yeah, some opportunity games ahead of Fun. them. He's just fun to watch. Miami's offense. I just don't. I'm not. No. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, UTSA, Western Kentucky, we talked about it. We thought this would be a fun game. We thought there would be 30 plus points around, you know, both places. And we all, I think we all thought WTS, I'm sorry, UTSA would get a win. That's how it played yeah. out. Yeah. I, they, they look like uh, the best team in, in that conference so far. All, all the uh, I, UTSA, North Texas, and Rice, I believe, are all undefeated in Conference USA play so far. Troy picked up their fourth win of the season. I think that's awesome because Troy was just not in the, not in the best spot going into the season. Good for John Summerall's squad. How about uh, the fighting Jim Moros now have three wins on the season, beating uh, Mike McIntyre at FIU? Yeah. Okay. That great, great, great job by him so far. 
Uh, Louisiana Tech, Sonny picked up a dub at home over UTEP. I'm looking down the list, seeing what we got left. You talked about Dirk Cutter's nice offensive – I mean, total offensive revival there because they didn't have any a couple of games ago. That's good. Zach referenced it a moment ago, the interim coaches. Um, I think it would be negligent not to mention the Georgia Tech win, especially the way that game unfolded. Georgia Tech up 20-6 to late. Duke, to its credit, showing the progress under Mike Elko, a fabulous, uh, really solid coach, gets his Blue Devils um, to force overtime, and then Georgia Tech gets a really, really long field goal. Um, Happy for Brent Key, you know, the other guys on that staff. But Brent Key, each one of these wins means so much to him as an alum for the Yellow Jackets. That's huge. I have a new all-name team member for us here and also tying into what you guys know is one of my passion projects and that is um, trying to help shine some light on the HBCU teams. So Eddie George's Tennessee State squad got a huge win. It's first of the season yesterday against Bethune-Cookman. Their leading receiver, guys, was Karate Brinson. You heard me correctly. Their leading receiver in their win against Bethune-Cookman, Karate Brinson, and then also um, shining the light around HBCU. Um, Kudos to Eddie Robinson Jr. for sticking up for his program. Um, The shoving, obviously, is not ideal on either direction, Um, but I love a coach who's going to go out there and stick up for his players, and and I love, you guys know, what Dion brings in terms of showmanship, gamesmanship, and promotionship if that's even a word for his team and all the teams that he plays. That's How it. many losses does Dion's team have this year? Nil. None. Zero. People, uh, you know, some traditionalists say Dion's a gimmick. Dion's not a gimmick, folks. He's recruiting good players. He's, he's, got, a, he's got a plan. He's got a program. He's got the process. Dion's doing good things. And, and his offensive coordinator switch this offseason to Brett Bartoloni. Big time move, big time move. Had to happen because where where he started was not right. that was not working at all. So he made a big that was a tough decision. Good friend of his, he had to step you know push move aside, and uh, it's worked out great for his program. It's a big yep. deal, gentlemen. That is the football scoop podcast. Any last words? I apologize for holding you gentlemen up. Thank you for your patience. No. Don't sweat that. Looking forward to uh, week seven already with great fun. NFL's on. Everybody have a great Sunday. We'll talk to y'all soon. Bye bye.